You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Professor Dr. Stephen Marconi is not available. He is on assignment at the moment, but we are Music Biz at Music Biz in the Music City. Our great guest today is Doc McGee. So say hello, Doctor. <laughs> there he goes. He does a great job. We're here with Catherine Stanton from the University of Miami. Catherine's going for her Master's of Music, and it's a concentration in the music industry. Okay. Is that, what do you, what do you say? Master of Music? Uh, Master of Music, Business, and Entertainment Industries. Okay. And what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, when I grow up, I want to be a tour manager. Oh, you want to be a tour manager. Okay. We're talking with somebody who might know a thing or two about tour management. Maybe the worst job in the world. <laughs> oh, God. You have picked the worst profession in the history of the music business. I'll tell you a quick reason why. Hmm? You're there 24-7 with the artist, which is horrible. <laughs> okay, every tour, I mean, we, I've had some really good tour managers, and I've been lucky to have a lot of good tour managers, but you have no life. It's really, it's, it's mm-hmm. a tough, it's a very tough position, because you really are 24-7. You don't go, you can't leave, you can't go, when you're on the road, you're on the road. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a tough, tough job. When you're young, you think you go, okay, well, you know, I could do this for a few years and figure out what I want to do, and all. That's not the case. When you're on the road and you're good at what you do, you stay on the road, and the next thing you know, you're 60, (laughs) 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 and you've been doing this for 40 years, that kind of thing. So it's, you know, it certainly is a, a, it's a very tough job. You know, I mean, even the, the the second worst job is a monitor engineer who has to get stuff thrown at him every day because mm-hmm. uh, you know, the guys can't hear him. But they only do that for two hours a day. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time's there, mm-hmm. where a tour manager is 24/7. So, so that's a lot of work. What's a bad tour manager? What would you describe as one who's not getting it done? My, I think that you have to look at. Uh, as a tour manager, you're, you're a support person. And so you have to be the eyes and ears of the manager, okay, to, to where he can direct the band the right way. I think the hardest thing for tour managers are they think that they're managers, okay, because they get them up and get them to a radio station or they hook up the right bus or they did got their dog food or, or something like that. 
Um, but they don't get, they're not career orientated. They're in the moment. They have to, they have fixed stuff in the moment. So uh, the, a good tour manager is a guy that stays in his lane and, under, and understands what he does the best way to ensure success by overdoing what he, they do. It's, it's really sounds trivial, but it's not. It's a very, it's a, it's a thing where when you walk out and your driver is there and you say, okay, you're going to the gig. And, but you, you don't know that he doesn't know how to get to the gig. <laughs> okay, that this might be his first time driving or second time driving. He doesn't know what gate to go in. And your band gets in the, in the van and you're driving and you're lost. And, and then your day's completely gone because they'll kill you. So the band will kill you. So it's about overdoing everything, second, third, checklists. You know, it's just being really on top. You have to be really anal to be a good tour manager. I mean, you have, you, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's 24-7. And only, there's only a few really good ones. You know, it's, uh, you know I, I have a saying about everything. It's called, everyone's a bull rider until someone opens the gate. Okay, mm -hmm. so yeah, everybody wants to do this, but ride the bull first mm -hmm. <laughs> a little bit and see how long you, see how long you want to stay on that bull. Right. Uh, and also, the tour, is the tour manager the one settling the show? No, He's that's not. the tour account. Now, in the okay. younger, well, in, in the newer bands, right? you're the tour manager, you're the wardrobe person, you're the gopher, you're the go get uh, coffee to go get, every, you know, you're just your support. Mm -hmm. You're there to help you, maybe the sound guy. Right. You know, if you, when a lot of tour managers start out by being sound guys and techs to where they can do tour managing and sound guys. So they get paid a little bit more than than the tour manager does, but they do two or three jobs, mm -hmm. which is really helpful in in young bands and really gets you to learn what if you want to be if you want to ride that bull or not. Okay, so it's uh, but normally you a tour manager will just be the guy that will set up everything for you, you know, kind of. Okay, so. When you are, like, as an artist management, like, when you have an artist, how do you draw that line of what you can and kind of can't say to them? Like, you can't be like, you can't do this or you can't do that, or do you just kind of well, give advice? Well, I don't have a line, okay? My, there, there's no, there's nothing, the worst thing you can do is, one, be opinionated, and two, not tell them the truth. Okay, you have to you have to tell them the truth, and that's it. So if you're a tour manager and they go, well, how come uh, we're doing this uh, interview at one o'clock in the afternoon? I can't do anything till three o'clock, and and if you go, well, yeah, I would have done it at three o'clock because I told them that you know you don't like to get up to one o'clock, and you're the enabler. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, or you just tell them the truth. I don't know. Ask Doc. Call him. He told me one o'clock. That's what you go, go do it. Yeah. You, that's what they schedule you to do. Otherwise, call him. So you got to keep your personality out of it. But as a manager, no, you have to tell them the truth. You have to be upfront. The management is really is is what what they pay big money for. What they really should pay big money for 
it's two or three things a year that change your life. The rest of the stuff, they can hire somebody to, to make sure they get somewhere or that this and that happens. But the one or two things that change your life, working with them and, and giving their experiences and everything else, and, and being the sounding board and being that person that can should be able to sit and talk to them and say, no, man, you're cracked. <laughs> you know, that doesn't work like that, you know, uh, uh, and and things like that. Those are the those are the things that you have to um, be able to say in order to be a good manager, you know, or otherwise you're a damager, you know, and 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 that happens more than managers. Yeah. Managers is really five or six people that do anything in the business to me that really not take care of people, they all take care of people, but actually move the needle and do things that are monumental in somebody's life, it's a handful of them. And there's only a handful of them that ever make any money in this business. You know, and the rest of them are damagers. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't tell them the truth and they give them false hopes and everything else and there's no substitute for hard work. Yeah. And, and if you start them that way, They'll be that way, and they can't bring their dogs, and they can't bring their kids, and they can't bring all this when they're starting out, and all that kind of stuff. And people want to please the artist instead of making sure that they're headed in the right direction, the right path, and staying on the path. Mm -hmm. And that's even when they get big. You have to keep them where they're not swerving into everybody else's lane. They continue to be artists. So that's pretty much what my assessment of a manager is. Well, uh, we had an interview earlier today with a guy named Josh Terry, mm -hmm. who manages um, a number of bands. He's based here. You do know him? Based here? Know He's here in Nashville. Yeah. yeah. Nice guys uh, yeah. starting a new festival called the um, Sad Summer Festival. Yeah. And um, he was talking about when he started out, he was uh, on the road doing merch, and then that graduated into some other things. But one artist in particular, um, Josh was 21, the artist was 23, and the artist was an alcoholic, and the artist was, you know, doing crack, uh, sorry, heroin before he'd go on stage. How unusual. Yeah, yeah. And he, and he would sit near that, and at the beginning, he, he saw the artist doing it, and he's like, why... And he was looking at these older people around him who've, who've been experienced. Why aren't you stopping him? Why are you letting him do this? And they said, you know, he's, he's, he's our job is get him on stage, get him the next place. Right. You know, and he was like, I can't believe well, that. That's, you know? that's what they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it's not their job to get him straight. Mm -hmm. They've been hired to get him on stage. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, and it's not the manager's job to get him straight. It's just whatever he decides is good for him too. So if you think that it's good for your artist to be on heroin and not be able to show up and be on you know reliable and and all that stuff, and you chose that path, and you chose that path, I choose not to be in that that scenario. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it never works, but that is what happens. And uh, and the enablers are the enablers. I was an enabler, so I know it. I know how. I know how that works. How did you? I, don't, I guess the word might be mature or grow to the point where you were no longer the enabler, and you realize that's not 
you just you know at some point you you realize that this is a business and if you and your money comes from making the artist money you don't get it for any other reason so if you're making the money is you you can't function the way that they're functioning mm -hmm. and so if you're not you know if you're, if you're not strict enough to be able to say and be able to walk away because that's when you when you say something to an artist, you better be able to walk away from the artist if you if you mean it. Walk away from them because mm -hmm. you if you, that's not in in your brochure, <laughs> your management brochure, then walk away from them because you know it's not going to happen. You can prolong it all you want to, but it won't happen. Um, and I've dealt with this most of my adult life so uh, and a lot of times you just have to walk away from it and because it's doesn't help you or doesn't help that artist and the artist is the you know we're we're all in this parasitic business okay whether it's radio whether it's uh, me or whether it's uh, we, we're all in this parasitic business that lives off these people mm -hmm. you, you know and so I, I think we should have a better, we should be a better way to please them than what is being done and to help them do the things they do and, and be better at it. It's, more, it's, it's better to be a person that empowers people than enables people. You know, it's the same thing. You've you, you got to empower them so they feel good about themselves and they don't need drugs, and, they, and they're doing the right thing, and they're doing good stuff around them. And then they'll have the self-confidence and, and, and everything to continue to write great stuff and to move forward positively. If you're in a negative situation and it's always going to be negative, get out of it. <laughs> you, know, you don't have nobody makes you do stuff, you know. I always say when the cat gets bigger than the cat, get rid of the cat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, from like, from your previous experiences, do you think that um, it's not the I wouldn't say easier, but maybe that would be the word um, to manage more of a solo artist or a band, and do you think it's easier to keep a solo artist kind of on the right track rather than a band who might? influence each other to kind of break the rules here and there? I think absolutely it's easier to do a, a, a solo artist and uh, because you're just dealing with that one person and everybody is not a beetle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's easier to deal with just the beetle mm -hmm. and, and what they need instead of, even though you do deal with everybody in the band and everybody in the crew and all that kind of stuff, but you really have one focused head that you can deal with, or one or two. You're dealing with a band that has been together, and there's so many moving parts as far as decision making and how it's, then that becomes a problem. So I don't get in those situations because I, you know, I try to do and do or make the decision the best for the artist. Maybe not be the best for him personally, but the best for the brand and the best for what we're doing. 
you know, if, if it's if he doesn't like it, then he doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. But that's really the best thing for him. And I think once you, if you have a reputation to do that, and you do do that, more people will lean towards you than the enabler, because they want to get ahead themselves. You know, they 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 want they want to have somebody to say, this is what this is what we got to do, this is how we do it. Not like it's written in stone, but at least they're really, it is kind of written in stone. It's just mm -hmm. kind of set there and said, hey, here's how we plan this, 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 and this. And they usually go along with it. Most everybody I've been in, in business with anyways. And you seem to be, because you manage KISS, mm -hmm. and it's really uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons at this point. Correct. And those are, one, the... Uh, layman's feeling would be that wow gene simmons must be so hard to deal with just because seeing him on tv and all that mm -hmm. not that he's a bad guy but no. just very strong and very my way or the highway but both you've been doing mm -hmm. both gene and paul are extremely strong individuals very um successful in everything they do they seem they seem to have uh, gene on one side is that television you know self uh, kind of uh, developer of himself, mm -hmm. and Paul is an artist. Uh, has sells his artwork and loves art and designs clothes and writes books. And Gene writes books. They have one thing in common: they both want to succeed in what they do. And for our relationship, for 25 years with Gene and Paul is to not just be Switzerland, okay, to where, but that Switzerland routine is really to give them my opinion of where, what road we're taking, and that it's the best for the brand. It might not be the best for him, <laughs> or best for him, but it's the best for the brand, and that's what I have to think of versus pleasing Gene or Paul, because at the end of the day, we win, they're pleased. They may not like it at the specific time, or one of them may not like it, and they understand that. And they don't want to be that person doing it. Okay, and and so I've I've got that job, which which is so great because they we deal every day on things, every single day. There's so much going on with these guys that they they love the fact that here's the, here's what we decided we're going to do and you moved it forward and they may go well I'd rather do this or rather do that but they know that if this is what we're supposed to do and it's been proven to work let's go do it and they put their head down and go to work they're great partners they're amazing partners to have mm -hmm. and the the end of the world tour which is going on <laughs> right now which uh I should mention, uh, we're here because of uh, Aaron Van Dyne, who's a right. business manager, a yeah. uh, great guy, and he's uh, you know, one of our uh, professors at William Patterson University. Mm -hmm. And by the way, hey, listeners, go to vb-cpa.com for all your band's business needs. <laughs> and um, Aaron has mentioned how the tour is doing extremely well, and the, the merch is off, off the charts, how well that's doing. Yeah, you know, every, everything has been elevated, and... Uh, Extremely. I mean, we're we're so blessed to be in the position to, that um, 
we've both been 45 years doing this and to have this you know this kind of um, kind of recognition or because people are showing up and they're to the rafters and they're, and they're spending a lot of money um, there's just been a testament of what these guys have brought to the table so it's just been but it's been a little overwhelming because we didn't expect this much mm -hmm. but um, it's really it's really been a, an amazing tour so far and we just got started we only did 44 shows so far and how many is it it's a hundred it's going to be about 250 Two, shows by oh, the time we're done yeah over how many years? Two years? Two well, and a half well, years? Two years. Two years, yeah, yeah. Two years, maybe two years and six months, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then um, Mitch Rose at CAA is he's, the he's, agent. He's the agent for the U.S. Oh, just the U.S.? US Who does it overseas? Rod McSween at ITB. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Rod's our agent outside the U.S. and Canada. Okay. And they're overseas right now. We're getting ready to go. We'll okay, I thought start. they had something in Lisbon or something. Oh no, we just did a, oh. we just did a show in Mexico Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just did a we just did one in Mexico, in Mexico on Friday night. Mm -hmm. I got back here Saturday. So I got back here Sunday. And it's funny because uh, with country artists, because mm -hmm. we're in Nashville and you know Nashville because oh, you're yeah. here. Um, their 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 weekend tours pretty much Friday Saturday maybe Friday Saturday Thursday Sunday. Friday Saturday yeah, yeah. and then Thursday, home yeah. you know and then. Well, go back out. And it's, I mean, it's all changing. It, mm -hmm. it, it, your your Friday and Saturdays are your bigger money days. Anyway, but yeah. they have, the, but they work all the time. So mm -hmm. they work out of here and whatever. And so they like to go to work like Wednesday night, the bus call, mm -hmm. and they get home Sunday morning. Right. Uh, until you get, you know, west of the Mississippi, and then there's no coming home. <laughs> right. You know, uh, so so you do more dates out there, but it's basically the weekend stuff because again, the, it's mostly fairs and a lot of fairs and a lot of you know cotton candy shows. But they, um, but they do tour mm -hmm. like mostly because they tour year round. Right. Right. So, but but Kiss doesn't do just weekends. They do. Oh no no we do constantly. We do four or five shows a week. So we we're just talking about how um, the Kiss fans have just keep coming back for just more entertainment, the bigger shows, and how Kiss is their fans is almost kind of like a like a cult kind of. It's 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 kind of more like a uh, it's kind of like a way of life kind of thing a little bit. It sounds a little crazy, but you know we do this is our ninth uh, Kiss cruise, and we have. 3,500 people that come from 33 different countries every year to be together on this KISS cruise. Spend a lot of money, but it's really about this. We're just a background music to their party. And when you see the, the I guess, you can't plan this stuff. It just kind of happens. You know, it's like Star Wars. You have these conventions of these people that love Star Wars and they go all over the world and they have these Star Wars conventions and you have KISS conventions and you have these people and um, from all walks of life. We had this uh, one admiral that uh, was in charge of uh, the nuclear uh, submarines and he's talking to us and of all the nuclear submarines and he, you know he's talking to me and you know about yeah I was with the president the other day and we we're going this and this and this and then Paul walks in and he goes 
Paul, are you going to play Deuce tonight? <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> like, right. like, okay. And, you know, it's just, you know, the ambassador to, to, to New Zealand is a, a Kiss fan. He wants to play on stage with Kiss, you know. So, uh -huh. I mean, there's – so Kiss is just like this – it's tri, It's kind of like a tribal thing. It's strange – to say the least, and nobody can figure it out, but uh, and nobody tries to. It's just the fact that people, I think people enjoy the concept of a freedom and fun and not being have, have to be told that you have to be like this or this or this or this, and you don't have to fit into anything. You can be whatever you want to be. Look at these crazy guys in uh, makeup and high heels. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you can do, you know, whatever you want. We don't, we, we stand for having fun. And uh, and that's it. You know, it's it's no big secret. It's not dark side of the moon. We're not doing any of that. It's, it's just pretty much just you have fun. You can be whatever you want to be because that's what these guys were. These guys decided to put together a band that nobody had ever seen, that they wanted to be in, that they wanted to go see. That was their vision of Kiss, okay, and that, and they weren't gonna settle for anything less, and so therefore, you know, they got booed, they got shit thrown at them, <laughs> all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff in the early days. But you know, it turned out to be the right move, you know, and so now, 45 years later, they're ending their career, and uh, as far as touring is concerned, for them. But there will always be Kiss out there, and it's not like the end of the end of the world for them. It's the end of the road for them on the mm -hmm. end of the road. So uh, it's and it's nice to be part of that package to watch it go down and to watch these kids come together. It's I mean I've shared it with a lot of other bands, not to this extent. I mean this is, this is this is really pretty serious stuff. So. Um, you know that's really the, you know the the essence of Kiss is is really the fans, and they they do their show. They they're doing a farewell tour, and they could have spent no money and gone out and done their their end of the road tour, and put all the money whatever they got away, and instead they made the biggest baddest show they ever made, and they spent they they don't care, they want to leave on the. And they rehearsed. They worked harder on this tour than they were, did on any tour I've ever done with them, because they wanted to be. If they were going to go out there and do it, they wanted to be able to do it. And the reason why they're saying goodbye is because they're getting older. And they know that they won't be able to do it, as well. And they, this isn't a band that sits on a stool in blue jeans and t-shirts mm -hmm. and sings. So, you know, they were forty pounds worth of. Shit. You know, mm -hmm. every night they had to put makeup on and everything else. And and so they want to give it their all on this tour, and that's what they're doing. And that's why that's why I think everybody comes back, and even about 60% of the people, 60 to 70% of the people, this is the first time they ever saw a kiss. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's a great part because you're Because Gene, Gene asked, you know, I mean, Paul asked them every every show, honestly. How many people out there really is this the first time you ever saw Kiss? And it's 50 to 70%. Hmm. 
because they want to see it. You know, they want to see what it is. And everybody, and at the end of the show, he says, did you get what you came here for? And everybody, and nobody leaves. Everybody's there to the end. And so it's it really is a good testament to, to what Gene and Paul uh, vision that they, I guess by accident they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it worked out amazing for him. In in what era did you manage Bon Jovi and Motley Crue? What, when was that? From the early eighties mm-hmm. through through into the nineties. Were you the uh, first Bon Jovi manager? Yes. Yeah. So you discovered them in New Jersey, yes. or okay? Yeah, I discovered them during. Uh, I don't know if I discovered them or, because, but I started managing them uh, when he had just written Runaway and. It was on APP on the on the WAPP homegrown mm-hmm. record, and before the first record came out, Bon Jovi, mm-hmm. just when Richie and Tico and everything got got in the band. How did you find them? Um, interesting. They were they were you know I had Motley Crue was blowing up mm-hmm. at, at that time, and so it was, and I had Pat Travers at mm-hmm. the time, and so I was you know. Bon Jovi just seemed like a natural to me. Uh, there were young, good-looking guys that wanted to play and were really good musicians. I mean, Tico Torres is amazing mm-hmm. drummer. Richie is one of the most talented guys out there. Um, Al was the coolest. He couldn't play worth the shit, but he was <laughs> he was the coolest. And Dave was a, a real good keyboard player and 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 Johnny was a good front guy that became a great front guy that studied his craft and and worked at it and uh he he was like the Tiger Woods of uh the music business mm-hmm. he uh he put his head down and he worked and he watched and he learned and he and he honed his craft and when he didn't think things were going to happen he worked harder and uh, he kind of quit school because there was recess. You know, mm-hmm. he's just, he just, he's a very hardworking guy and he, uh, he outworked everybody mm-hmm. and, and became John Bon Jovi, you know. Now that was a very different time because yeah. uh, Runaways 83, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Slippery When Wet, which was 86. the, that yeah. was 86. Yeah. Um, and then New Jersey after that, 88, I think. Yeah, 88. Um, and so you were there through that period yeah. up through, because then I, uh, Keep the Faith, I think, was 90. W- were you up through Blaze of Glory, Solo John? I, and did, then... Bla- I did Blaze of Glory in, okay. New, yeah, in New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. And then... Um, Keep the Faith, I, I didn't. They, so were, were... they were recording when I left, yeah. Okay. Was that an era where you like you decided to leave or they said... You know something, I think that, you know... Everybody has their own, you know, story when it comes to when when you don't work together. Mm-hmm. And I think it just became a little bit like a, a a marriage kind of thing to where you weren't hitting on, you weren't feeling it from either side. And when you don't feel it from either side, it was probably a couple of years of of not getting along. It wasn't like one day, okay. I'm not going to work with it anymore. Mm-hmm. I think it was just, I think it was more of Johnny had made his movements and wanted to be a, in the movie business, and I didn't. 
I didn't think he should be in it, and it was just different ideals and, and, and things, and people get in the way, and mm-hmm. and um, and you just start losing enthusiasm to 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 continue it. So, good or bad, you you split. And at that know. time, let's say it's ninety. Yeah. Um, you did you still have Motley Crue at that point? No, was, that no, was no, done. Motley was on. I had. Uh, uh, Scorpions and Skid Row. Okay, so you had that. that you, I don't want to say you had a lock, but you were on that that sort of Mercury Records. You know, they had Scorpions. They had uh, yeah. well, Electra had no, Motley Crue, Motley Crue, Bon, bon Jovi, and Atlantic and, had uh, Skid. Skid Row. Okay, but that that sort of the, the long hair, metalish music. You know. Yeah, um, when Kurt Cobain came out and killed all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. What did you think of that when that came out? Well, I mean, I. I did. I didn't understand it, but it because it wasn't fun. It wasn't. It was angst. It, it was. was yeah. It was angst. There was no production. It was anti all that. It was shoegazers, no guitar solos, no production. Um, kind of like, I hate my mother and I hate my life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never. I never got it, but I guess pe- people were ready for it, and mm-hmm. so. Uh, I think maybe there was an overabundance of what hair bands were or whatever. And so that started to wane. And so it just, you know, that kind of went out, but it only went out here. So the rest of the world, everybody did amazing business. You know, mm-hmm. Johnny did huge business in the stadiums and and Motley and everybody else did great business. So it wasn't, it was just here that it was kind of a real different scene and then you know in 95 I put Kiss together so mm-hmm. um, and that was in the height of grunge so but that's when I thought it was the time to, to do that mm-hmm. because I thought people were would have a backlash against not having fun mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I was right mm-hmm. and so it uh, so, so that worked you know. and I, I never I, I I do things because I believe in something and I and I'm driven for something. I, I don't do I don't do things because of the money or I probably should, but I don't. And um, but so, you've been connected to many successful things. So oh yeah, well but I mean I, yeah yeah I mean I've managed a lot of a lot of art a lot of great artists. Um, but again, you don't do that because you're looking at how you make money and if you if you look at how you make money you don't that's pretty much how it works um so with all these like bands that you do um that you did manage what was it about was it the challenge of having these bands that were a little bit more like unruly and wild that kind of kept you coming back to signing those artists or was it just solely the music that you kind of felt a connection to no i that's really not at all. Mm-hmm. The, I learned something very interesting on Motley Crue. Uh, when I saw Motley Crue on New Year's Evil in 1982, <laughs> they were horrible. I couldn't even I couldn't even listen to it. It was it was that bad. It was terrible. But I saw 3,000 kids going crazy, buying every piece of merchandise. And they connected. They know how to connect. So 
I'm not a music snob. I figured I get it. I signed them that night because I knew that everybody else liked it. It's not about me. I'm not, I'm not doing this to, to relive my fantasy of <laughs> being the guy that couldn't make it as a guitar player, so I'm managing the band. I'm in the music business. Music business means <laughs> that you have to do business, and maybe that's not my taste. Maybe my taste doesn't make the money. So I had to give up the idea of managing R&B artists, which I loved R&B as a person, or go make money and, and find connection and find things that connect to people and then find a whole different world that happens after that. And so that's what I look for every day is connection. I don't look about my taste. It's not my taste, it's not my people in my office taste. I send around and I go, tell me what you think of this. And they, somebody writes back, well, it's not my taste. I write back, I don't care what your taste <laughs> is. Is it relevant? Does it, uh, does it connect to people? Does it have a place that we should be looking at it? I didn't ask what your opinion is of it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. You know what I mean? And, and I don't care about my opinion of the music. If it, if it does well and it, has, it doesn't have bad mojos on it and everything else, and people are into it, I'm into it, you know, and because I'm in the music business. So if you don't work for a connection, because that's what it is. You get into the best artists in the world. If they don't connect, they don't connect. I've had artists that are amazing artists that never happened. I loved them. But for some reason, they didn't connect. And when they don't connect, they don't connect. I can't connect them. People have to have that something that, sparks them to do. It's not a TV show. It's not anything else. It's, it's like you watch Adele. You might not like Adele's music, but you believe every word she sings. You know that Elton John's the same way. You might not like Elton John, but you know that he believes everything that he's doing. Gaga is a little bit like that, you know? So those, those type of artists people believe in, and those are the ones you better be after. Those are the ones that, that connect. It's not that because you sign with Doc McGee, you're on the silver screen tomorrow afternoon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just happen to pick the people that are on the silver screen the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the next afternoon. So that's really it. Who have you missed on, like, uh, for, like a Gaga, like somebody brought you Gaga and you're like, I don't get it. Or well, my brother, my brother brought us uh, Black Crows, uh -huh. and I didn't do that. Do you remember and why? I just didn't get it. But mm -hmm. see, I was in the I didn't get it mode, you know what I mean? Right. And, and I didn't see connection. Mm -hmm. um, and he did. Um, I passed on Guns N' Roses first time around mm -hmm. because I had a few heroin problems myself with bands, and so mm -hmm. I didn't think I needed any more, even though I thought they were amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and really, nobody else that I wanted to... To manage that I manage that I didn't manage. You know? mm -hmm. If I wanted to, I pretty much, you know, did it. So it's interesting that with the grunge, whether it's Nirvana or then there was Pearl Jam, you know. Well, um, see, I liked that, and I liked Pearl Jam, and I liked, you know, Stone Temple Pilots was well, the Pilots were Pearl Jam, <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> but right. you know, when they did Plush, but 
you know, when people said, how come you didn't sign any of the bands in the 90s? I said, well, because I didn't see anything that was any good besides Rage Against the Machine and Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. And they were already taken. And Dave Matthews, <laughs> they were already taken. I had Hootie and the Bowfish and all that stuff. So, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't going to practice. Right. You know, I didn't see the connection. So. When did you have Hootie? At what point? I had him for the last 15, 17 years. Something like that. I, I I got him right around ninety-seven. Post cracked rear view. Yeah, post. Okay. Yeah, when they they were not doing well mm -hmm. because they had it's a long story, but anyways. And then I took Hoodie and Blowfish and got him coming back, and then I took Darius and broke him in country, mm -hmm. and he became a big star. And now Hoodie and they're back together. They're back they're together right. for, for a tour. I don't know how long that'll last. Now kind of going back to how all the bands that you represented at one point or another, they got so big and they're still big with so many of the younger people and things like how now there's a biopic for um, Motley Crue on Netflix, like The Dirt. And you think you can see that more young people are kind of getting back into that um, kind of era of music. And do you think that that kind of genre is going to make a comeback with the long hair and the boots and the makeup? Well, listen, nothing comes back as the same. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why, why, I mean, why there's a kind of a, that people are listening like to Kiss and to, Guns N' Roses and the ACDC is because 15 years ago they developed this thing called the internet. <laughs> so I know it sounds crazy, but they have this thing called the internet. And now, you know, kids don't have to go to their brother and try to look in the car and find the tape and go to, and they won't look in their dad's closet for, you know, whatever. So all they have to do is go to Spotify or go to anything else. So you're seeing that, you know, 22 million people a month listen to Kiss around the world. It's crazy. And so everything gets accentuated at that point. Okay, so it, the, the, so these kids are listening, but they, it's not like when we grew up where we listen. We were either a rock kid or, uh, you know, you're either a jock or a greaser or something like that, and you listen to a certain type of music and you dressed like it and you didn't listen to anything else, and that was it. And nowadays, kids listen to everything. They listen to hip-hop, they listen to Garth Brooks, they listen to you know, classical, they, they just listen to... So their, their playlists are huge. So, and one of them is classic rock, and they'll listen to the GNR and they'll listen to, to, to Kiss and they'll listen to Bon Jovi and so therefore we get that a surge where I don't believe my bands would have happened in the eighties hadn't there been M T V. I think I think M T V was the component, the one component that launched my career. I really do. Mm -hmm. I, I, because I was there at the beginning of M T V and it was, I want my MTV and I want to see these bands. And they were all my bands. <laughs> so it was awesome. Right. And so, and that broke all my bands. And so therefore, you know, I had that medium. And now the medium is Spotify and, and Apple and Apple Music and, 
and now you know YouTube is now going into their whole streaming stuff, and mm -hmm. and so there's just more access for for people to get to understand what Kiss is, and they understand it right away because they see it all over the world, and I can see it analytically. I can see where everything's coming from. So it's it's you know that's why you have that that news. But I, do I think that they're gonna start? wearing big hair again and stuff. I think that there'll be festivals of it and, and people will dress like that, like they do the 60s or the 50s and stuff like that. But no, I think, I think, I think the people are, the younger kids now today, they, they're just so spread out that it's not that important for them to look or to act like a particular one genre of music anymore. You know, maybe the metalheads still do because they all wear black, and, they, mm -hmm. and that's been a constant, uh, a constant theme. But when it gets more into the pop, rock world, no, it's all over the map. Mm -hmm. um, on the business side, do you do contracts with your artists, management contracts? Yes, mm -hmm. I, I do, and. Um, I believe that good fences make good neighbors, mm -hmm. and um, everybody should know what. There's been so many problems with. I didn't know he did this. I didn't know he had this. I didn't know he was going to do this. I didn't know he got paid this. I don't. You know what I mean? So, over the years, it's just it's just very important that everybody understands the parameters of the fences and where everybody has. What it goes as far as time limits and stuff are concerned. When people don't want to work with me, they don't work with me. When I don't want to work with somebody, I'm not going to work with them. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. Do you have sunset clauses? In somewhat, your yeah. Mm -hmm. Somewhat, but very limited ones, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I just don't believe in that. Never have. And again, I probably retarded for not doing the stuff like <laughs> that. But I, I never had the bands publishing, and never had their records, and never had any of that stuff. You, know. you mean publishing, meaning owning their publishing? Yeah, I, I, I never yeah. owned any of the stuff and never and, wanted to. But you would have the traditional like management 360 deal where you would get Well, a, that's what it is. Yeah, management yeah. is 360 yeah. because you do everything. But you didn't do what you're referring to is like the, the sort of the bad guys out there who well, are the, kind well, of... Well, maybe the more business guys, okay? The guys that, that, that you know, I mean, there's still publishers by publishing, mm -hmm. Okay. Record companies buy masters, right? And have you perform masters, and it's just that we kind of represent the artist, and it's hard to represent somebody when you have a fiduciary duty to them, but yet you own things. Mm -hmm. So there's a conflict of interest, I believe, in, in in that, and so I never did, even though I probably should have for financial reasons. But I just never did it. Well, it's the right thing to do. I mean, well, I don't know if it's the right thing to do. I think that you know, I, I I think one of the problems we have in this music business is that they don't treat it like businesses. They treat it like everybody's supposed to do everything for the artist, and that's not the case. You have to be partners. Mm -hmm. And if you were, if you said to me, hey. Uh, I have a hot dog stand, and I'm doing really well with this hot dog stand, but I want to move it. I want to have two or three or four of them. Will you put your time, effort, and money into it? 
And I'd say yes, but then you become a partner. Mm -hmm. Okay? And that partnership doesn't say when you want to leave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it means you're a partner. <laughs> okay? So if a bank comes in and wants to put money in your house, give you money for your house as a loan, they don't say, oh, well, it's just until you want to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> And then, oh, and then I don't get any more? Oh, that sounds like a great deal. <laughs> so right. so there's there's that. There's the thing where the artist gets screwed all the time, which is not the case. Um, some of them have been taken advantage of, and some of them pay people they shouldn't pay. But that's the same way as, you, as life. Mm -hmm. I hire people that I shouldn't have hired. I paid him, not talking to Mitch, but I looked at him anyway, <laughs> he's the only one here. So, uh, but I mean, you know, you hire a landscaper and he just doesn't do what he's going to do and you got a two-year contract with the, with the guy and you got to work it out and, and move a lot. But, I mean, that's just what business is about. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think that, you know, I, I think that people have to get more real about business in this because it's all about art to everybody that's what they talk about anyways it's not really but that's what they talk about mm -hmm. and so I think it'll go I mean you know today this is shark tank out there this isn't this isn't hey man I want to take you to the top and because I just want to hang out with a true legend it's like no for this I'm out <laughs> mm -hmm. you know you you can't if you can show me that you can do something and you have something that's plausible and you can have this, I'll buy in as a partner. Shark Tank doesn't say, yeah, I'll do this until you don't want me to. I'll put up the money and everything mm -hmm. else, but then when you say, oh, I'm not, no, not really. Oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not business. This is the, and that's the business that's out there. So from a management perspective, mm -hmm. though, do you think it should be? But you said once I don't want to work with them, or they don't want to work with me anymore. Well, that's that's okay, that's, so. that's what I do because I can mm -hmm. afford to do say that. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. but if I was, if I were going to put my expertise and everything into somebody or mm -hmm. into something, then I should be partners with them. You know, in a way, I'm partners with Gene and Paul. Mm -hmm. You know, not I don't own their their stuff, but I'm partners with them. And so, and I think that that's where you have to, I think that's where, when you get the right, the right situation, you should, that's what you should do. Mm -hmm. And these, these people now don't do it when they have nothing. They don't, the lawyers, oh, you can't sign a contract, you can't do it. Well, then you manage it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's good luck with that. And that's, uh, so that's a, a big bone of contention with a lot of people that are out there, especially with the work ethic that most people are seeing out of the newer generations. Um, they all believe they're YouTube stars and they'll be here and it's the same old situation, but the loyalty factors, the hard work and all that stuff is not in the cards. Cards are how my a star tomorrow, and if you can't do that, then I'm going to find somebody that can, and that's pretty much mm -hmm. what happens. But good luck with them, you know. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm. 
I'm not in that game. Is most of your time during the day spent on kiss things? Yes. Or I know you have you have Ted Nugent as no, well. Well, we have Ted and stuff, but you know that's worked with other people in the office. I only do Kiss and Vintage. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the two bands that I work on. Right. So. From a, a an overall perspective for the business, yeah. um, are do you have other managers who are actively out there tr looking for new artists or not really? Uh -huh. My, you know, my brother and I, remember my brother left last year, and he has 1,000 horses. He has a bunch of great stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I'm not that, um, I personally am not that in tune with the way you have to accept artists today. And so, you know, it's not... Uh, the way that it's structured is not my not my world anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, unless it moved more towards what I was talking about earlier, then I probably will not sign anybody. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just do this and do my books and do whatever I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't think uh, I would sign it'd be very hard for me to sign anybody today. Mm -hmm. Very right. difficult. What advice do you have for upcoming DIY bands, for example? Well, I think that, I think they have to, you know, it's hard to say, you know, be partners with people that may not be able to do something for you and just because you're, because that's how you get in trouble. But, there should be a way to design a way to, to, to prove that if you hit certain things and, you know, you hit what your your objectives are, that you stay partners and then you become partners. But there's no point in, in um, shying people away from you because you don't want to, you know, if you go on Shark Tank and you're looking for somebody to help you and they're there to help you because they're experts in their fields and they didn't get there because they weren't experts in their fields and to say if you want that expert maybe not the guy that drives the van because he can't play an instrument when you start but if you're looking for one of those big guys then you're going to have to pay for it you're going to have to you're going to have to share your interest in them. Otherwise, don't ask them. Because mm -hmm. nobody's going to do it. And um, and so, you know, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's just, it's a hard thing to, to, to talk about because it's, I see it in this business every day. And, and I see the uh, disgruntled artists that most of the time can't happen because of their own stuff but we'll blame everybody in the world for them not, and they want to be on the silver screen tomorrow without working and every, you know, all that stuff, which doesn't happen. And I think that all that silliness has to stop. And um, and the people like myself and Irving and, and stuff like that, and the four or five really great managers, I mm -hmm. think they're out there that can actually do something for someone, uh, won't, won't take any of these people.
Who are the others? Uh, you mentioned you, Irving. Who else? Well, there's, I mean, there's, you got Peter and Cliff mm-hmm. at Q Prime. They're really good managers. Right. You know, you, you've got Bill Kirbishley. You've got Ken Levitant, who's a, a really a good management company that's here in town. Uh, Clarence Spalding is good. And then you got the individual managers that manage just acts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and, they don't manage multiple acts, mm-hmm. but when you manage your multiple acts, it's tough. You know, you can find one that you ride the ride, but it's like having a family, and every child thinks that they should be more important than dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's hard to balance that. It's it's tough, and so you you only have a few of us that can ever do it fairly successful. Mm-hmm. So, what about like a scooter brawn? Do I think Scooter, him? yeah, I know Scooter. I mean, I don't know him well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Scooter has, you know, he's hit some great stuff. And 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 I think that as long as you have big artists, you're attracted for big artists, and, and we'll see. I mean, you know, 10 years is kind of like a, like a training bra. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's uh, and you see how that see how it fares in thirty and forty years, and and how you approach the business, and you leave a mark. It's not that easy. You know? any, any female managers out there who? Well, Sharon Osbourne's always oh, been. Right. She's okay. been one of my favorites of all time. Wendy Dio worked on a lot. Actually, uh, you know, um, so, I mean, yes and no. It's kind of hard because I don't know how much women would want to do this. Mm-hmm. Management is not for everybody, for sure. It's a very, very hard business to understand. It's not hard to do it. It's just hard to understand how to do it. And it's, uh, it's like I said, there's... Everyone's a bull rider until someone opens the gate. So everybody wants to be the manager, but mm-hmm. you can't ride that bull that long. <laughs> you right. got to get off of it. So it's uh, it's a different it's a different dog. You know, there's it's a whole different you know, different thing. So well. I'm not sure that. Yeah, I I think that women could per- obviously be Sharon. Sharon's as tough as nails, man. She's as sweet. She's like the sweetest woman in the world, and she'll cut your throat in about a second and a half. Mm-hmm. She's great. I love her to death. I really do. And she's uh, she's been a good friend for a long time, a long, long time. And uh, and she's she's very tough and she's very good. But you know, it's it's like anything else. She's, people that are good. Nobody's held back because you're a woman to me. I, I think that that's a misnomer and has been for a long, long time. I think there were places in the family life that people decided I was going to be the family person to raise my kids and be the... But I hire women before I hire guys, to be honest with you. Most of mine, other than he, he made me hiring. But... <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, because... And women for managers should, because they have an, a, a, this maternal instinct to help and to to nurture and 
You know, it's just kind of <coughs> DNA, kind of genetics. So they would be perfect for it because that's what they do. It's just they get too close to it. <laughs> but uh, anyways, so if you're really good at it, women will do it, whether, whether they want to or not. That's the other part. Because it's a crazy job. You're gone your whole life. You know, you're, mm. like you said, tour manager. You're, you're, you're on the treadmill. And so if that's, if that's the life you want, then good luck with that. Because <laughs> it's hard to change. You know, once you're really good, I know some tour managers that are great tour managers. Nick Kua is one of the best in the business. He does share and pink and, you know, he's, he's just a great. He did Motley for me and did home shopping for me. He's a great guy. But he's on the road, 67 years old, and he'll be on the road. He's with Cher now somewhere. And, you know, he's got kids and family and everything else. But And we get to see him. You balance it by the way you see it. You know, you're t together. My wife goes on the road with me everywhere, so that's cool. Um and uh, she uh, spends time with me. Of the 200, 250 shows Kiss is going to do over yeah. the next couple of years, how many do you think you'll go to? Probably every one. Pretty, oh, really? Even, yeah, even I've overseas? Always been that, I've always okay. been the guy that goes on the road. I've. Do you think you needed to be there? You know, so on Kiss, yes. Mm -hmm. um, on uh, some bands, I don't. Um, but when you're not there... It's harder than if you're there. If you're there, you can solve whatever goes on. On a show like Kiss, there's a lot of moving parts on Kiss. There's a huge amount of moving parts. You know, we've got 18 tractor trailers full of stuff to 100 people on the road to just all kinds of logistics. And You're better off sitting with your partners and dealing with them every day mm -hmm. and talking to them and planning. and It's just easier than it is to be in an office, mm -hmm. you know, and and doing it. Because I can work out of my hotel room all day and I go to work at 4 o'clock with the guys. So it's easy, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, I'm up at 7, 7.30 every morning, even though I don't go to sleep until 3. <laughs> I'm up every day, so. And uh, so that's why I travel with them. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. I have a lot of fun with them. It's not torture. It's actually <laughs> a lot of fun. Right. And do you take vacations? Uh, yeah. I mean, I go to, I'm go. i leaving on the 15th to go to the south of France with my wife for a week, and then we'll be in Portofino for a couple of days, and then a race at Monte Carlo for a couple of days with some friends at, at Ferrari. And then I start to tour. And then, um, you know, I, you know, you, you do it around your touring. Mm-hmm. But you do take that time oh, for yeah, you to just yeah, get the do. break and just recharge. We, we, we always do. Yeah. You know, we always end up with one of the artists of going on <laughs> going mm -hmm. on vacation with them. But but it's all fun. You know, it's it's hey, it's been a great great life for me. It's worked out for me, and uh, I've chose to do it like this. But it's worked out. My wife enjoys it, and she she doesn't go to every show. She goes to. She's not going to go to Des Moines, Iowa, but she'll go to Paris. She'll go to mm -hmm. different places like that. But it's uh, it's a good balance, and you're not home all the time, so you have a, always have a great relationship with your with your spouse because you're you have time to be <laughs> away from them. You know, you don't you're not stuck with them every day. 
and that stuck with you every day. Mm -hmm. So, so it's you know it's a good blend. It's like a, a relationship. I used to do a lot of uh, interviews with athletes' wives, mostly in the baseball. Yeah, oh, and they would say that the best time of the year for the marriage was, or actually the best time of the marriage was the when the athlete was playing. Once he retired and came home, it oh, was like, oh my God, who is this person I'm, I'm who I'm seeing every day, day for yeah. the rest of my life? Yeah. I think my wife is like that. Uh, I think she's like, I'm not sure you'd ever, you know, if you were home every day, I'd, I'd probably want to kill you. <laughs> so, so, and uh, that's probably it. But I mean, I've been together with my wife 36 years. Mm -hmm. So it seems to work. Actually, only four. <laughs> but we've been together <laughs> if 36. If you add up the actual days together. It's about four out of 36. But, uh, well, you found the right person, though, who, who, who liked that life. Meaning, you know, yeah. my husband isn't there every day. Yeah. You know, I'm okay with that. Right. She's, but she says since the beginning. So, me, she yeah. Would, she'd like, probably prefer to have me there every day, and I prefer to have her there mm -hmm. every day in theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in theory. But, but yeah, I, you don't know how it would be the other way around. So, mm -hmm. but, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to go do what we do. She enjoys it, so. Well, good. Well, I think we enjoyed this interview. Well, there you go. Did you, did you enjoy yourself, Doc? I, I, listen, I, you know, I'm like the happiest kid in second grade. Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> so I, I'm really, uh, I, I, I love the music business. I, I like talking to kids, and I like talking to people like yourself and stuff that, that want to be in this business. And it's a tough business, but it's a great business. If you do it right, you do it for the right reasons. It's like any business, you know. And if I can use, not tell people what to do, but tell them what I've done and let hopefully they get something out of it and, uh, and help them, then that's fantastic, you know. That's it. Yeah. Did, did you have any final question that you wanted to, any tidbit? Yeah, okay, good. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Music Biz 101. Doc McGee, thank you very much. I'm going to clap for you now. You Doc McGee. <laughs> Doc McGee. There you go. That's my number one fan right the, 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 That's right. So at the end of every show, we don't say hello. So I'd like you to join in with me because at the end of every show, we say adios. Would you like to say adios with me? One, two, three. Adios. adios. I hold it really long. Well, no, he's Mexican. I'm not. <laughs>